Hey, dealmakers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. So this is a cool episode, guys, because I'm going to be talking with Matt Faircloth. And Matt's a seasoned investor. He's also becoming a really good friend. We hang out together at some events and we're in a mastermind together. And it's really cool. We just get to jam over stuff. We really talk about what's going on in the market right now, what it's like to find deals and and capital, kind of what we're struggling with, what we see the opportunity is, and really what our vision is for the future of how to scale our businesses. And we talk about personal disciplines that we think have really contributed to our success. And it's a pretty cool episode. So make sure that you stick around for that. I want to give a shout out to some guy by the name of Michael. I don't know who it is, but he left us a review on, on, on Amazon for the Yellow Book. He says, this is an amazing book. It's motivated me to do big things and get started in the industry. So that's awesome. If you've read the Yellow Book, leave us a starred review on Amazon. We love to hear how the book is helping change your life. If you haven't read the Yellow Book, check it out on Amazon. It's called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. It's the same as this podcast as well. We love highlighting people who have done deals. And what's cool is every single week we have someone who's done a deal. And we've been doing this since 2014. And every single week, well, not every, we only started doing this about two years ago. But since then, what we know of one person who's done a deal and, and all kinds of markets. So this one is first dealmaker, Josh Will. He closed 112 unit in Evansville, Indiana for $5.8 million. And his mentor, it was working with Jeremy Lemire on our team as well. And what's, what's really cool about that is that the average deal size of our mentoring students is $4 million because you're working with a full-time syndicator who will expand your comfort zone like immediately. And if, versus if you do it yourself, you'll, your deals tend to be smaller and they take longer. Now, the thing is, our mission is to help a thousand families become financially free with real estate. And of course, you know that the way we do it is by investing in apartments, which I believe, having done all kinds of shenanigans, is the number one way to become financially free in as little as six months. A lot of people are able to quit their jobs after they do their first deal, which is in about six months. And since we've been tracking this thing, we've helped students acquire over $1.5 billion in multifamily assets, which is awesome. So we've helped people do their first syndication. That's kind of been our focus, and we can do that even if they've never invested in any kind of real estate. You know, they have millions of dollars in the bank. And that's really what we're known for is helping people get into syndication and help them become financial free. But about a year and a half ago, we started actually training syndicators who are more experienced and helped them to really scale to a thousand units or ten million dollars raise. And then we've helped them build companies that run without them, and that's really important for your own time freedom, sanity. And for generating true generational wealth is to really build a company that runs without you. So here's the thing. If you feel like you could use some help to get to the next level, whatever that next level is for you, then let's have a conversation to see if we can help you get there. So we have a we have a new form on our website. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash call. And you get 15, 20 minutes with one of our advisors to help you gain clarity about what's important to you. And, and maybe financial freedom is important to you, and maybe you want to do it with real estate, and maybe we can help you. So if you're new to syndications and you want to do your first deal, then let's talk. Schedule that call. If you've already done a few syndications or you raised some money, but you kind of feel stuck, you're looking for guidance on how to scale to the next level, be able to raise tens of million dollars a year. We've, we've done that ourselves, and we've helped dozens of people actually do that as well. 
then go ahead and schedule that call. That's at themichaelblank.com forward slash call. We would look forward to having a conversation with you. So with that, let's get in a conversation with Matt Faircloth. He got started investing in 2005. And he's obviously known for apartment building investing. He's a contributor to, to Bigger Pockets, and he's written an awesome best-selling book, Raising Private Capital. And it's just been really awesome to kind of jam with Matt. Let's get into it. Matt, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It's great to see you again. This is great fun. What's new with you, man? Man, I really like we crushed summer in my family. So that's going to, on a personal note with, with my kids in school, both of school age, right? Like you got to go all in man on, on summer. And so we took the family to Costa Rica. We spent a lot of time with local friends. I got to hang out with a bunch of my syndicator buddies down in Dallas at an event that you put on. So, which was incredible. So much fun. There was, let's see, then we went to Virginia and just in, in between them, just spent a lot of time stopped doorsing and stuff. I really feel like, Michael, I went, I've been outside more than I've been inside this summer. And, and so really, really lucky and, and blessed to have a great, to have a great summer. So I'm just, we're getting towards the end of it here. A little sad that it's over, but also not sad because we nailed it. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we had the resources, the means and the time control to really own our, you know, own our summer and, and slay it hard. Yeah. So. That's awesome. We just got back from Europe, spent three weeks there. Man. I went to Germany to visit my parents, spent a couple of days in Vienna, Austria. I have a sister there. And then we took a seven-day cruise in Croatia and Dubrovnik and other places, and then spent four days in Paris. So we got a got a pretty good Europe sampling. And one of the things I love about Europe is there's so many, it's just so diverse, different cultures. Yeah. Drive an hour, fly an hour, you're in a different language, different universe, and it's it's really cool. So Got to do all that with my family. Spent a lot of time together with the family, which is really what I, what yeah. I we actually get along with our kids and really enjoy them. The two of them are entrepreneurs. And so it's good jamming That's with great. them. You You've know? been great about exposing your kids to your business. And every time we come to Dealmaker Live, you know, I mean, I, I, I see the Blanc family running around, you know, you know, putting them to work and having them on, on you know, just just being a part of the team and that. And I think I really admire that. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, one funny story. I know some of the people that you went because it's kind of a joint organization you and I are a part of for the Croatia thing, right? Yeah. I did Google where Croatia is. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that funny? I had to look. It's like it's it's like the other side of Italy, right? It's like you know the the boot of Italy. Italy's kind of like kicking a soccer ball into Croatia, right? Um, and I didn't realize that it's oh, it's right there. It's probably going to be just as beautiful as the Italian coastline. So when I saw that, I'm like, okay, now I'm jealous about where Michael and some of my other friends are. You know, <laughs> it was it was good. I, you're hanging out with these high level successful entrepreneurs yes. on, on a boat for you know, a week and it's great, but it wasn't that kind of hangout. It was like, people really were just, they just wanted to be on vacation. <laughs> they didn't, you know, they didn't really want to do a bunch of masterminding, which was to chill out. Yeah. Chill out. And I, I think that's cool. Cause we all just drive so hard all the time, really. And it's good to just, you know, just chill out for a little bit. Oh yeah. That's a good place to chill out too. So. <laughs> up with you and just kind of just jam a little bit, just you and I, we're, we're part yeah, of it together. It's actually something that we, we don't even pay for. It's just something that we created, you know, years ago. And back when we had, you know, several hundred units and a bunch of us got together and, you know, and, and now we kind of grew up to get with each other and, and it's been a lot of fun uh, to do that. Had each other's back too. Like exactly. looked out for each other. Like, yeah, man, don't do that. You know, cause I did that and that didn't work out kind of thing. So yeah, it's been great. 
And it's been useful for me because, you know, and this is kind of what we're going to talk about here. I haven't, I, I think the last time I was on was, I think, four, four or six weeks ago. I think I missed our last mastermind because I was gallivanting in Europe. So it's been a little <laughs> while since we caught up. And this is kind of a jam session, I think, for everyone watching and listening to this is to have a group of peers around you that, you know, are doing what you're trying to do and can support each other. And, you know, between the nine of us in this mastermind, we really have a very deep perspective on what's going on and what we're going through. And, you know, I've experienced something that you have and vice versa. And so we can kind of lean on each other in this way. So kind of what I want to do with you today here. So what's going on in, in your business right now? Like what's, what's, what, what do you think is like going well and, and what's maybe not going so well or, or yeah. it's always those two things, things, things <laughs> going well, you're crushing it. And then you've got challenges at the same time, keeps life interesting, but what's going, yeah. what's going well right now? Sure. You know, Michael, when you own apartment buildings, it, it's like you own a bunch of little businesses, you know, and in, in, in some ways they are related to each other with only, but in regards to like best practices that you can bring and operational strategies and protocol and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, the revenue streams are unrelated because it's different market, different demographic, different tenant base, different everything, right? And the expense load can be different and everything like that too. So it's almost like having like a bunch of little children. Some behave themselves, some do not, you know? And and so I've got my problem children. I've got my apple polishing, lovely little children that just can't do anything wrong. And they're like my little favorites and stuff like that. So the properties that we have that are going really well are ones that obviously are on, you know, like shocker stabilized debt, right? <laughs> Fixed rate debt that we refi. I got one property, Michael, it's at 3.1%. Can you believe it? You know, and we thought, and we were like a little bit mad, I'm like, man, I really wish we got it in 2.9 or whatever. We were like throwing rocks at 3.1% when we got it. Now, like I'd literally crawl over broken glass to get 3.1% again, right? But we have that it's fixed rate for years and years and years. And then we have floating rate stuff and I'm lucky enough. And I think partly due to our mastermind that a lot of us saw this coming and stuff like that, that we, you know, shirt up our boats and took in some strategies that you and I both did and stuff like that in our businesses. And, you know, we had to raise more equity from one of our deals from our investor base to, to tighten up things to make sure we had enough reserves and, and that. So we, we've, had to do that. And that, and that's those properties are stabilized and are continuing to around the corner. The, the properties that we have that are really, really sucking wind. And we got one of them right now, Michael, just a, you know, is, is like one that there was unforeseen, unexpected construction items, major construction items, like replacing the staircases, construction items that we didn't think we we're going to have to do. So you get in and we all end up having to like rip out these staircases and put them back in because they were turned out being more structurally unsound than our structural engineer had thought that they would. And the town showed up and put a violation on them. Right. So we, we fought the town said, no, 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 wait, our structural engineer said, and they're like, no, no, no. We say that these are, that these are condemned. And so we ended up having to do a lot more construction work than we thought tie that along with floating rate debt and you got a property that's really, really hurting. And so that's probably my biggest problem child right now. You know, happy to go further. What do you got? Yeah, no, I know. I think the the problem with this the floating rate debt, I mean, yeah, I, man. I will have interest rate caps and, and those are capping it. The problem is, you know, it takes one or 2% to get to that cap and that one or 2%, while it doesn't sound like a lot, is a lot. And so what, what it's doing uh, in all portfolios, well, it's amplifying any kind of operating issues you might have. So in a normal environment, normal means that you're in a state more stable environment. You're not having to deal with financial issues and interest rates that you don't understand or control. 
And so these things are amplifying operational issues. So, you know, yeah. it's and it's one of those things. And, you know, on the one hand, when you know, you look on social media, everyone's talking about how how successful they are and how great they're doing. And and that's irritating because, you know, the truth is elsewhere. On the other hand, you don't want to <laughs> the point of, you know, the one out of the 10 that's kind of sucking you dry. But it's kind of like that. It's like, you know, 80% of your portfolio is doing well or reasonably well. And then you got that 20%. It's the 80-20 rule. That 20% is taking up 80% of your time. It's and it's like that for us, and it's like that for any syndicator who has, you know, a large portfolio. Like you said, it's a portfolio approach. Yeah. And unfortunately, those that bottom 20% is just is just sucking you dry time-wise. And you're doing, we have one property, we're probably on our seventh manager there now, right? And so we just the, the management company just cannot produce someone who can manage that property. And yeah. it's in the yeah. same area, you know, we have other properties, you know, it's in a, actually a relatively good area. All the comparables are doing well. For some reason, they, the humans cannot run this thing to the point where, and, and here's the problem with the situation is when you're trying to get out of floating rate debt, which we all are, yeah. more, you know, fixed rate, government backed of some sort, man, you got to be 90% occupied. Like, right. Know, 84 or 89.5. Or not, you're right, not 88 or not 89. I mean, we looked at a deal right now, Michael, to buy, and I feel for this guy, the seller. He's at 87% occupancy, but can't get it any higher than that. And I'm like, I'm over here looking at the deal. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to use bridge debt, which yeah. is going to cost me today 11%, right? 11. There's such a disparity between bridge debt and agency debt cost that the offer we could have given this guy was probably 20% less, 20% based on 3% occupancy. You know, Now he could have just puffed it full and put in, you know, got it above 90% by just putting people with a heartbeat into those units, but you know, that's not going to stay up through closing. Right. So, but so it's, it's, there's such a disparity between, between we really, we really need is I, again, if you and I had a magic wand, there should be like a better product. Maybe the agencies get into a little bit of bridge, maybe yeah. like a, like a baby bridge kind of program or something like that, where it's like, especially now. Yeah. Especially yeah. Give like, me 80% occupancy that needs a little bit of reno, right? <laughs> Give me that. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of difference you and I could make and a lot of housing we could sure up in this country right. if we had a little bit of bridge with agency rates, you know? Yeah, it's it's a tough gap to close for both buyers and sellers. And you know, there still is on the deal flow side, there's still not a lot of volume out there because sellers who don't need to sell are like, yeah, I'm just gonna wait till it comes back again. I'll just write mm -hmm. it. On the other hand, I think there's going to be a lot more opportunity. Have you seen? I'm starting to. Yeah, it sounds like this particular person. Is yeah, ample. I'm starting to. I've yeah. seen one. I've seen one deal in the market for sale for less than what the seller paid for it two years ago. Wow. Right. So that means it's straight up. Like I am willing to take a haircut. I'm going to lose money. Investors' money, my money. I'm going to lose money on this deal because I'm selling it for like 105 a door, and this guy paid 110 a door for it. Right. So we're seeing that. Good. Um, why they are selling, like why are there going to be opportunities coming to market either on or off market? Okay. That deal, they went in undercapitalized. And that's the biggest lesson anybody needs to hear that if you're bidding deals right now, or if you're looking for opportunities, look for people that went in undercapitalized. Explain what that meant in a second, what that means in a second. And if you're going to do deals now, you may go in overcapitalized. Undercapitalized simply means that they went in with not enough money and not enough contingency and not enough, oh shoots, things might happen. And the, you know what might hit the fan for a little bit. So I need to have some money to bridge. 
that's undercapitalized. If you go in with exactly the dollars you need to renovate and exactly the dollars you need to execute a business plan or whatever, it might produce a higher investor return if everything works because you went in with less money, you had to raise a little bit less equity. But if anything hiccups the wrong way, in this deal that we're particularly talking about, Michael, two things went wrong for the seller. Number one, they didn't do a sewer line inspection and they didn't see that a lot of the sewer lines had tree roots inside them. And so the sewer system started backing up. There's an older vintage, not a 70, it was, it was an 80s vintage, right? But the sewer system started backing up on them and now they're going to end up not even rooting them out. They got to dig it up and they had to dig it up and replace all those sewer lines. Chiching, right? Second, they didn't get a valid roof inspection and they didn't realize until later that some of the roofs not didn't need to get patched, Michael needed to get replaced, mm-hmm. right? That's one thing. That's, those are two things. And the third thing that hit them, which this property is in a low-lying coastal area. And so insurance, they are currently paying 300 a door and insurance. The bids that we got, Michael, $1,200. And it wasn't a floodplain, but it's in like a what they call a air quote low-lying coastal area, which is well, do the math. It's close to the coast and it's lower elevation, right? So the bids that we got were $1,200 a door for insurance, given the spikes that we had. So those things have pushed the property value down to the point where they really just need to get out unless they really want to lose big. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're going to get a lot of that. There's, there's people starting to sell because they have these interest rates, these, these caps expiring. And yep. the properties aren't really performing that well. So they can't actually raise additional equity because no one wants to put throw good money after bad. And they're like, no, I'm out. I've already written it off in my head. And they're like, oh, yeah. how do I do? Do I give this up? I mean, I could return the keys to the bank, but now obviously everyone's going to take a, a basically 100% loss. And now I get blacklisted probably and I can never yep. do another freaking Fannie loan again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right. let's sell for pennies on the dollar and avoid at least a complete and utter capital yeah. loss. And so I think you're going to, the, the challenge is going to be, Matt, and this is, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with in my mind is we're going to start getting later this year, probably start getting a lot more of these opportunities, especially like into next year. Yeah. Problem is raising the money for it. I th- still think that right now people are still afraid. They're mm-hmm. still afraid to deploy capital, especially if they're already in some multifamily syndications and their distributions have slowed or stopped or yeah. been they had to fund the capital call. They're like, you know what? I don't know about this thing anymore. Yeah, not going to do this again, right? How about I just keep my money in my money market savings account and earn what? Four and a half, five percent Jeez, exactly. that's almost that's almost a pref right there, you know? That's, um, that's right. And so that's what we're, de- that's we're dealing with, you know? But yeah. like this deal that you're looking at here and the one we closed on now four months ago, those deals are like night and day from they were even a year and a half ago. Like the interest rate is completely different. The interest sure. rate... The debt structure is completely different. Like you said, the insurance costs are much higher than they were. So we're going in. You could argue that 18 months ago, we were at the height of the market. I mean, price. now you could argue now that we're like towards the bottom of the market. I don't know if that's the bottom, but darn close to the bottom Mm -hmm. of of prices, at least in the medium term. I don't know what you think Mm -hmm. of it, but therefore, I mean, within 18 months, we swung from one extreme it, it, it changed quick. I don't think we're at the bottom yet. I, I think that we've begun the correction where the overpricing of the market just hasn't fully baked in yet. Real estate always tends to respond slower than than other than other industries do. By the way, that deal that I just told you about the under the deal with the guy selling it for less than what he paid for it, we passed. How about that? Even with the with everything, we passed because of insurance, because it was still hard for us to make it work. That was a big insurance bump. And my partner looked at it and said, 
hey man, low lying coastal, like maybe what if the insurance goes to 1500 or 1600 or keeps going? You know, I mean, at what point do we just say, uncle, you know, it, again, it can't go to like 10,000 a door, right? It, it can't go up forever and ever and ever because then these property, then these whole regions should just become, okay, we, we I guess America can't occupy the low lying coastal parts of the country anymore. Uh, Never, you know? never. I mean, they, they, that's true. Big insurance companies start pulling out of California and Florida where you can't even get insurance anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I talked to our insurance guy. I, I think you and I use the same carrier, but, you know, just for, for to be friendly, we don't have to name them, but I think that we do, we use the same carrier. But I talked to one of the guys over there and I said, what's, what's the end game here? Like if we're going to 12, 13, 14, 1500, a door for a lot of these properties. So like, well, where is this going to go? And he says, well, what's going to happen is these rates have gone up so much that it's going to allow for new players to come into the market. And he said like big, big, big fish, like Grace, you know, Graystar, the property management company, right? The largest PM company in the country, I think, right? Now, if Graystar manages your, your real estate for you, they will insure it for you too, Right. Think about that. PM companies are starting to get into the insurance business. So I think that we're going to see more players. Like what if Fannie Mae is a bad example, right? But what if a insurance company that was the lender on the deal, right? Because you know, insurance companies will lend, you know, for a place to place their capital. What if they say, hey, listen, I'll knock your rate down by a quarter point if you let me insure it too, right? I think we're going to see more players come into the multifamily insurance space, and that's what's going to make it more competitive, which is what we need is I, to get more competitive. Another product that would be super interesting is a, is a cap on insurance rates. Like, I mean, that's the biggest thing. You would you would probably underwrite twelve hundred, and the deal would work. But kind of like these interest rate caps, you, no one had any idea it would basically ten x, fifty x. Like if there was some kind of insurance for the insurance. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that that this year's insurance for insurance. Yeah, like, but, but if, I, if you approach me with that. A like doomsday scenario insurance prices. Okay, I will insure you that your rate will not go up anymore. Your premium won't increase by any more than six percent. I would bake that premium into my underwriting. I would. I mean, like, what would it cost? Exactly. You know, because then I can fix expenses. You're right. I can. And the number, the the concern is not what it cost me the day of closing. The concern is, is it going to go up by another forty percent next year? You know, because I, how do I underwrite to that? It's like crystal ball here, you know? So, so that's what I, I, I agree. I think that's probably what we're going to see coming. I think the insurance world in multifamily is going to change because it's going to start a, there's definitely a problem and problems in a lot of ways create opportunities. Probably not going to be me that's going to create it. And we've even talked about getting a bunch of, I'll tell you one thing that you and I've talked about is getting a bunch of owners together to say, hey, I'm owner A, this is owner B, and then owner D through H. We're all going to put our portfolios together and just use it for a leverage bargain bargaining agreement or do captive insurance or do something creative. I mean, just so we could use our, our strength in numbers. Let's do something together. If you want to work with a full-time syndicator to help you get up to speed faster, get your first deal done this year and scale your portfolio so you can quit your job, then check out our mentoring program. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. It's the only program out there that actually guarantees results. That's right. We actually guarantee that you do your first deal in the first year. Otherwise, we'll keep working with you and set up a, a strategy session call and explore whether it's right for you. It's themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. I think it's just times like this where we as entrepreneurs have to become creative in general, right? Yes. In general. And I'm going to talk about kind of scaling our business a little bit. I, I would say probably after you know 2010, it was relatively easy to scale because 
well, that's not entirely true because it's always hard to get a deal done. But hey, uh, man, this business has always been hard, brother. It's all- <laughs> I don't remember this thing ever being easy. Oh. I remember in hindsight, it was like, man, I sure wish those days were back again. But you know, you're right yeah. about that. Let, let me rephrase <laughs> what I'm about to say is, I, I if I observe companies, especially when they start out multifamily or some other asset class, in order to preserve or to scale in a meaningful way, and let's say, let's say you and I will do four deals a year, two to four, yeah. say, which is great. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, when you got, you know, 100 million, 200 million in assets, right? But if let's say you have a billion dollar in assets, you doing another two to four deals a year isn't really going to ensure that you that you grow at the, the scale you might you might want to grow, right? And mm-hmm. so you either obviously do do more deals or you do something else. And it's very interesting to see what's, how companies, what they do to try to scale. And I just want to get your perspective on that because I'm sure you've grappled with this. And mm-hmm. obviously when you're dealing with, uh, market issues like we're dealing now, it takes a lot of attention away. It's not like I can take all of my energy and now pour it into growing my company. No, I have to take a, a significant amount of energy to actually operate well, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, I can't, I, I mean, I can't really do both. I am trying to grow, but m- a lot of my energy is being consumed on the operational side, which of course, at the end of it, the operation will be better because of it. I get that. It's still yeah. irritating for me because I'm a growth guy. <laughs> Not that people take my entire energy and just kind of move forward with that. And how are you? How are you solving that? And if you're not solving it now, which I won't fault you for, for the reasons I just said, mm-hmm. in your mind. If you had a magic wand, and you know you could solve all the things that are sucking up your 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 time and energy right now. You know what is your vision for scaling your company? Well, I mean, first of all, just like you, I got great people that you and I are, you and I are just the pretty faces of our companies, but we're not the only operators of our companies, right? Like there are, there is a team behind me and two partners, almost exactly like you. I got two very strong partners behind me, just like you have very, two very strong partners just behind you that are doing a lot of the help scaling too. That's number one. Number two, the mistake, here's I want to scale too. I want to grow as well. I ain't done yet kind of thing, right? But I think that you got to scale smart. And you can't force a square peg into a round hole. So I think that there's two mistakes that one could make in scaling now. Neither and you and I will not make either one of them because we're just you know aware enough, aware enough to not do this. Mistake number one that you can make is by scaling. I think in like only one section of your business. So like, let's say I decide to go super like hardcore on raising capital, and I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna create the machine to lever like 50 million 50 million dollars in equity a year to my company but i don't do anything on the acquisitions and on the upside what that's going to do is it's going to create a lot of money coming in and i'm going to have to have to force a square peg into a round hole on a deal and overpay on a deal and allow allow myself to get pulled into best and final best and final final best and final 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 and then pay like 10% more than the guy behind me in line right because I didn't scale my acquisitions game. Secondly, I then have to take all that equity I just raised for the deal I overpaid for and put it into a mediocre operations business that I didn't invest in, that I didn't scale, that I didn't put the right people in. And I know you guys just hired a rec- an asset manager, which you know we did too recently, right? So we're making the right investments there. So that's a case in point of what the right things to do in scaling. So the short answer is the right way to scale is to scale all facets of a company, equity, operations, and acquisitions, 
right? And and that's that's what we've been working on doing now. Everything from like considering different management strategies, including managing maybe on our own in some markets or something like that for property management, or just different ways to get equity, different ways to acquire deals. Maybe starting to talk to banks for deal. Maybe not just talking to brokers to acquire properties. Scaling acquisitions could look like looking in other markets and also looking at other resources. So that's how we're trying to scale. Certainly not like let me scale by finding more deals. No, you got to scale by doing all the buckets of a multifamily operation. I, I found that most syndicators who have done a handful of deals or even have you know up to a thousand units, that's that is their scaling plan. It's just well, let's just do more deals. And to some degree, <laughs> yeah. it's not the same thing. We'll just kill and do what we did last month. And and we found that doesn't really work very well. And, and you're right, you have to really focus on building a business. I have like in my mind, Matt. I I, I think I came to this while I was. Uh, deal maker live and i was i was thinking about the levels there's always another level matt always right mm -hmm. you're like oh i'm at the top level no there's always another level above you there's always somebody ahead of you in your line in line right there's always somebody bigger yeah let me get you so level one is you do deals okay yes you're deal maker you do deals you're happy you know blah 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 and then number two, level number two is when you decide to build a company like you yes. actually go oh my gosh i have a company i actually have to build a company like i'm building a company like that's right. level two but I, there's two other levels, Matt, check it out. Level number three for me is building a company that runs without me. So I call it, I want to move myself in the owner's box, right? Whatever book you're you're reading, it's who, not how it's, I want to clockwork the company. Okay. Traction, all that stuff. Yeah. That, so that's cool. Okay. But now I just covered a, a fourth level. Tell the, me. The fourth level is when you basically have different lines of business under an umbrella. Okay, so let's. Here's what I mean. So for Nighthawk, our, our investment company, right? So when an investor ca calls in, they want to invest with us. We have obviously existing cash flow and multifamily to invest in, and that's fantastic. It's probably the best investment class in the world. Okay, but there are other types of investments within real estate have different risk profiles. So what if? Okay, and you and I have talked about this. What if we could offer a different kinds of asset class? For example, a debt fund. A debt fund has no appreciation whatsoever, but it's only, it's all cash on cash return, right? Cash flow day one though. Yeah. And then maybe <laughs> down the road, we create a ground up development fund, right? And there's no yeah. cash flow at all. And it's just all appreciation. And then you have your cash flow and multifamily in, in the middle. So to me, in my mind, that is a vision for us to scale. And you, you and I have talked about this mm -hmm. as well, so that you can actually really serve your investors to some degree. Yes. Better because the investor has a certain amount of money for a certain amount of risk profile. That's why they have different investments. And if they trust you in one way, they might trust you for something something else as well. So to me, and also if I study these, these syndicators who have really grown to a large degree, that's what kind of what they've done as well. And it does go back to the who, not how. You really put someone in yeah. charge of that line of business. Hey, hey, Sam, you're now in charge of, you know, figuring out this debt fund. Go make this thing happen. We'll give you some equity. You know, and you do, and and so to me, that is a vision for, for I think for for syndicators in, in general. The thing yeah. they all have, the thing they all have in common is raising capital. Yes, know? they do. But what? Well, first of all, like the term that I love about what you said is that it, it's almost like building an enterprise, right? That you've got not like a line of business, and any larger company doesn't sell just widgets or just car tires. They sell a bunch of different, not a bunch, but maybe four to five different things that serve the same client that you can leverage the 
infrastructure that you built already on, right? So like the, the, what you're doing right there is scaling the capital side of the business and realizing that an investor that walks in the door is not just, maybe they don't want to invest in multifamily today, maybe they're saturated and they either could go find some other thing to invest in, or if Nighthawk or DeRosa Group or whatever provides other things under their enterprise umbrella, then they go, oh, yeah, okay, you know what? Let me look at your debt fund because I've got three to four multifamily assets. They're fine. I'm happy. I understand where that's going. I need to diversify. I want something else. Or let me look at oil and gas or let me look at self-storage or whatever else you got underneath this umbrella. And as long as you scale smart and bring the other sides of the business, acquisitions and operations alongside it and, and commit to A plus acquisitions and operations sides of the business and running it the way that you've run your multifamily operations, talking to all the your listeners here, you can certainly do that. Just I don't recommend doing that something like this until you've reached a certain scale in one thing, right? Because if you don't do that, then you're going to be viewed as kind of all over the place, shining, chasing shiny nickels or whatever. But if you've achieved a certain level of success that you can point to on in one lane of business, hey, listen, we've done it here. And now we're going to bring that mindset, that success, that brand you know, that's made that everything made that work. We're going to bring it down line into other, other asset classes we can offer to you, Mr. And Mrs. Investor as well. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit here, I, I'd like to, I'm curious about some of the personal disciplines that you have developed over the years that you have found to really contribute to your success. I mean, anything you do, how you get up in the morning or how, maybe how you block time or, or yeah. anything related to business or even maintaining a life balance, anything that you can, you can share there. Sure. I, and still working on it, right? I, I'm, I'm certainly not optimized yet. I actually heard in, in our, our mutual organization in, in, in Gold Abundance, I can just say, I heard Jesse Itzler. I heard I, I wasn't lucky enough to be in the room, but I heard him say this in a recording that he said at one of the Champions events. You probably were there, but he says, I try and add a habit once a quarter to my life that will make my life that much better, right? So like whatever that may be. For me, I upped my vitamin game, right? My supplements and those kinds of things. So I'm taking, you know, being, you know, guy, middle-aged man now, right? You know, I mean, th things don't work just automatically like they used to. I got to keep myself spry and everything like that. So I intentionally, I'm intentional about my health. And so that means, you know, working out most days eating well most days. It's like an 80-20 principle kind of thing about I try and do healthy habits 80% of the time. So that means 80% of the time or more taking my supplements, eating a healthy diet, exercising, avoiding alcohol 80% of the time. And then 20% of the time, yeah, but a drink or two, it's okay. But I don't it have to be, you know, so, you know, completely bare bones about it or whatever, but making good choices for my health on that side. And I have a pretty good morning routine that I practice 80% of the time. Except I just give myself grace on the days that I don't, Michael, you know? So my morning routine looks like waking up between five and six. My wife and I got up at six, at 6 a.m. today and yeah, get up. I drink about a liter of water. I do a meditation, which we did. We did a little reading and then we and meditate. And then I journal when I do. Again, <laughs> when I do, I do. I also, this is a funky little habit, Michael. When I get up in the morning, I put on my gym gear. I don't like just throw on my pajamas. I don't throw on like just what clothes I was wearing the next day or my morning, just throw on a pair of shorts or whatever. I put on my gym gear. And sometimes it takes me a little bit while. Like again, young kids scurrying around. A lot of times they're up right behind me, like right after me and stuff like that. So it might mean 
getting them on the bus or getting them out the door, getting them where they got to go. And then I do my workout, but I never, I, when I wake up in the morning, I always put on my gym gear first so that it's like, I kind of don't let myself get, get ready for my day until I've, you know, sweated up that gym gear a little bit. Then I'm allowed to change into my workout fit. You know, I, I find it interesting that you went right to health, which is interesting, yeah. right? You didn't, you know, and, and here's the thing I, I know, and people listening to this probably, it, it, you, you take your health for granted until you no longer have it. Anyone you get gets an injury or accident or you're out for like five days, you're like, oh my gosh, health is everything. And, mm-hmm. and I agree, especially the older, older one gets us more and more important. And, you know, that, that leads to having a better, more productive life during the day. And also you sleep better at night, which then makes you better the next day. So I think health is, is absolutely critical. And, you know, just focusing on, you know, reading personal development books and going mm-hmm. just, that's, I think that's great. It's good but, too. But really focusing on your health is absolutely, absolutely important. Well, I find it, it gives me energy, Michael. Like I find that when I eat a healthy diet and when I exercise and I remember to take my vitamins and I remember to do a bit of a morning routine for some mental health, I just feel better. Do I feel like three times better? No, I feel maybe 20 to 25% better, but I certainly notice the difference. I could muddle through my day if I don't do those things, but I just feel better. And I've also looked at folks that are a good bit older than you and I are. And those that are still spry in their seventies have told me that it's all about keeping moving and they, and they either wished they did or are grateful that they did keep their body moving, moving in their fifties and sixties in their forties and fifties and sixties. So that the body's ready to keep moving into their seventies and eighties. Right. And so I want to be the guy that's still moving around in his eighties in, in that, which is why I try and move in my forties, right. you know, and then eat well in my forties. I, I don't want to all of a sudden decide to take on good habits and to, to, to be healthy with my energy and my body on my 70th, 70th birthday. I want to do it now. But when I, when I can, when I don't have to turn the Titanic around, you know, I can just keep going in the same direction over years and years and years. Yeah, I found that working out first thing in the morning does not work for me. I'll do I do other things in the in the morning, but I can't work out first thing as my body doesn't get into gear. That's why I, t- I take ninety minutes for lunch, and I block it out on my calendar so no one can schedule a call with me. And I'll have a 90, 90 minute lunch where I work out, and and then it, it resets oh. the day. So you normally how you you know how your productivity kind of goes down. Well, for me in the afternoon, yeah. it goes down. So I'll take care of a piddly stuff like emails and stuff that don't require a lot of deep thinking. But I find that having a, a lunch reset like that actually gives me another another pop for like an hour afterwards. What do you do? Well, during lunch, yeah, I, I work out and you do. Uh, so yeah, you eat out. too. So do you work out first and then go eat, or do you? I, I eat? work out. I work out first, and then I either jump in my pool mat or I'll take a shower and then eat, and then I'll sit. Oh, there. You're a swimmer guy. Or do you do laps? No, no, it's not that. It's not an Olympic sized pool, Matt. It's just a normal pool. <laughs> I know you're I know how you're a roller like that, you know. So I didn't know what kind of a pool we're talking about here, Michael. <laughs> okay. Kind of shocks my system and I, you know, get... Oh, you're doing the cold thing. No, okay. No, 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 not not yet. Though of course I'm we're both surrounded by go, go abundance freaks who do these crazy, crazy things. But no, I am light years away from the cold plunging. And oh man, I used to do that for that torture device. I used to do that. I used to do it. And I I felt so good after I did it, but there was nothing harder in the day than to put your own body into cold water, whether that's in a shower or in a, but I can tell you the way you feel afterwards, I, I feel like my body's on fire for hours afterwards. Like I feel like tingly, you know, it's great. It's 
it's better than any cup of coffee in the world, but oh, it is one of the hardest things you'll do that day. You know, <laughs> Matt, I love jamming like this, man. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Like, uh, how can people reach out to you and learn more what you're doing with the DeRosa Group? They can, well, you just said it. They go to derosagroup.com, D-E-R-O-S-A group.com. Everything there is on the website. Just go to derosagroup.com. If you want to follow me on social, the best place is Instagram, which is just the Matt Faircloth. I took a page out of the Michael Blanc and decided if he's going to be the Michael Blanc, I'm going to be the Matt Faircloth. That's it. You know? You know? (laughs) I love it, Matt. Enjoy it so much. And I'll talk to you later. Thanks, brother. Man, so much fun hanging out with with Matt. Really love the guys. We really bounce a lot of ideas off each other. And this is really important. You know, Jim Rohn said that you're the average of the five people that are around you. And this is a painful exercise. It really was for me when I first got, got into personal development and investing and quit my job in 2005. And I learned about this and I looked at my people I spend most of my time with. I'm like, man, these are not going to help me get to that next level. And it was painful. I, I had to, it's not like, you know, you stop talking, but you have to find other people to surround yourself with to help you get to that next level. And there's really two kinds of people. One is your peers. And then there's people who have, you know, surpassed that, who are in that next level, right? So, you know, peers, obviously, my gosh, Matt and, and some of the other guys that I'm in, in mastermind with, incredible. Such a resource to bounce the deals off, and then uh, the other one is is the uh, you know someone who has is at that next level, that ten thousand unit level, or have raised raises a hundred million dollars a year. That's really kind of the, the kind of support and kind of people that you have to surround yourself with. And a lot of times you can create this group, okay, like we did four or five years ago, or you're just gonna have to pay for a group that where people hang out. And uh, I think Matt mentioned GoBundance. And that's something that I pay for a lot of money to hang out with very, high, very successful guys. This is a, a men's group and we meet four times a, a year and it's just been transformative, really. So really look to surround yourself with the people that are going to help you get to the next, next level. Obviously, if you decide to work with us and you schedule a call with us, then you're going to be plugged into our environment and we'll surround you with the people that are at or around your level, regardless of whether you're a new investor or you've raised a million dollars. We want to help you get to that next level, whatever that level is. If if you're just interested in investing passively in deals, we'd love to talk to you about that. Our investment firm is called Nighthawk Equity and we're at nighthawkequity.com. You can also schedule a call to talk with us here. And we'd love to share with you some upcoming multifamily opportunities. And I mentioned on the call a debt fund. And so we're also working on that. We're really excited about that, partnering with one or more seasoned, seasoned operators who've been in the private lending space for decades and really excited to be able to present those opportunities for us. So make sure you schedule a call with us if you're interested in investing passively. All right, that was it for today. Hope you guys were inspired with that. Check you next time. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our Freedom Vault, where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing. Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.